The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of redlegnation.com. Welcome to episode 12 of the Red Leg Nation radio podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson, one of the founding editors of RedLegNation.com. Got an exciting show for you here today, including the second part of our interview with Logan Parker, Reds minor leaguer, former University of Cincinnati Bearcats star, and a first baseman, hopefully, at uh, Carolina this year, double-A for the Cincinnati Reds. If you listen to part one of the interview, you'll know that Logan really pulled no punches uh, during this talk with uh, one of our other editors, Bill Lack, at RedLegNation.com. second part of this interview won't disappoint you either. He's really uh, brutally honest, um, and you can tell he's a good kid, a hard worker, really trying to make his way, fight his way up uh, the ladder in the Cincinnati Reds organization. Also later, we're going to have the first installment of our mailbag session, in which we'll answer questions from listeners. Um, and uh, before we get into the interview, though, I thought we'd give you another 10-second movie review. Most of you are probably thinking, this is a baseball podcast. Why are you full with a movie review? Well, why not? It's my podcast, and uh, we've got some positive feedback on the last one. Uh, short review of Slumdog Millionaires. Uh, in short, go see it. Uh, tonight's interview, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Just uh, got that through Netflix I watched it last night, as a matter of fact, um, in blue, stunning Blu-ray. And uh, again, i got to give this one thumbs up as well. Um, it's a Woody Allen film, and admittedly, I'm a, I'm a fan of Woody Allen, although his movies over the last decade or so have been really hit or miss. There have been some good ones, um, and there have also been some ones that uh, really, really missed. But Vicky Cristina Barcelona is outstanding. Uh, go see it if you get a chance. Okay, enough of that nonsense. Let's get back into baseball. I'm going to turn it over to Bill Lack now, where uh, Logan Parker is talking about working with kids uh, this summer um, at the baseball academy he's working at, and uh, then they move on to any number of different topics. Basically, like working with these kids out here at Champions, when we do these high school camps, a lot of it's, there's 30 kids that we have right now, 30 kids on that one field right there. So it's a lot of chaos when the baseballs are flying all over. Ground balls and everything, when they misfill a ground ball or they're not hitting the way they want to, the easiest thing for me to tell them is slow the game down. It's one the piece of advice I learned at UC, and if they it's carried with me all the way through pro ball. Slow the game down. When the game speeds up, your head speeds up. Everything is fast forward. 90 looks like 95. You know, 86, which you should crush, now looks like 94, and you can't touch it, and you wonder why. Because you're rushing everything. And when you're in that high streak, like you talked about, there's not a better feeling as a hitter, as a position player, or anything, than that want than you see everything is like a cookie. Everything is a giant softball coming in, and it's 80 miles an hour. Everything looks like a BP fastball. You see breaking balls right out of the hand. Before he even throws it, you see a spin, and you see it coming. It's it's unbelievable, and that's the feeling that every hitter strives for. When we show up and do all of our early work and things in the cages, and we work hard in BP, and then right before the game, we go back out and hit again with our hitting coaches, that's what we're trying to accomplish, is seeing so much repetition 
that when you are kind of struggling, that you can find a way to slow the game down to get to that level. Yeah, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, but, but pitchers had the chance to warm up in the bullpen. They kind of know what they've got when they're coming out of the bullpen, even though from all the pitchers that I've talked to, it's not it doesn't always carry over one get, to the other. That's right. <laughs> Can you tell in BP sometimes that oh I'm gonna be on I'm gonna be on it tonight you know I, I, I you know the game feels really easy tonight or, or is it so to, is it too is it more dependent on what the guy's gonna give you you know offer you to, to swing at a little bit of both there's times where we would say especially in college and you know the first year or so in pro ball like when you would take a bad BP and there was nothing going right you just couldn't square a ball up hey take a knife to a gunfight you got to go in and fight somehow. Find a way to scratch out a hit, find a way to, you know, hit a duck fart here and, you know, find a way on. Walk, do anything you can to help your ball club. But, uh, and there's a lot of times, you know, pitchers may not be on. But and there's a lot of times when I'll take a bad BP lately and I was, whatever, that's that's batting practice. It doesn't matter. I'm coming to the game with a new mindset and that whole, you know, take a knife to a gunfight, you know, scenario is out the window now. I've learned that BP's BP. It, you can have a great BP and go over four and not even touch a ball and strike out four times. Or you can have a terrible BP and go four for four. It's just the opposite. It's all the mindset and, like you said, whatever that pitcher gives you. If he makes a mistake, if he makes great pitches to you all day, that's one thing I've learned as I've got older and matured a little bit, that, hey, yeah, everybody else on my team may be crushing you, but you made three quality pitches to me that at bat. I'll tip my hat to you. I'm, like, awesome. If you do it my next at bat, I'll tip my head again. If you do my third bat, I'm going to start getting a little frustrated. <laughs> you're giving everyone else cookies, and I want something good. But for the most part, you learn as a hitter and as a, as you get older and more mature and you play more baseball. That That's why you play 140 games. So when that day happens, when they do. It all evens out. Exactly. When they do throw you the tough days and you can't find a way to get through it, then, hey, the next day you got the number five starter for that team coming out. You find a way to get those four hits. So when you go four for four, over four, you're even. When you're having a good spurt string, like you were in July for the Dragons, mm -hmm. do you climb into the box saying, "You can't get me out"? It's a mindset. It really is, and there's a comfort level when you get in. And that's a lot of what they talk about in the big leagues that I've noticed even more when I got in Sarasota. When you step in the box and you're comfortable, there's pitchers that'll move your feet. They'll get you off the plate. They'll, if you're diving in, they'll come up and in, and just to get. Let you know, hey, it's my play too, and you, you're not that comfortable in my box. But uh, in Dayton, I got in, it was just, it didn't matter. If you throw it in, I'll turn on it. If you throw it away, I'll hit it out to the left center. It doesn't matter. Whatever you've got for me right now, it doesn't matter. I'm that locked in, and I'm in that big of a zone right now that it doesn't matter. And when I got to Sarasota, my first at bat, I struggled. I've struggled mightily against lefties this past year. A lot of not seeing them in spring training a lot. I didn't get a whole chance to, you know, even pick it up. But uh, I got Sarasota first at bat. I got out, but it was a line drive to right center. And I was, all right, it's a lefty. I smoked it. And then I get in the box, and I take two pitches my next at bat. And I, I take them with very good confidence. I see the ball real well off this kid. Next pitch, wham, up and in, hits me in the hand. I was like, all right, like that's kind of how it is. He's trying to move you off the plate. Exactly. He's like, you're not going to take a pitch that comfortably with me because it's my plate too. When you when you climb into the batter's box, are you thinking or are you trying not to think? I mean, are you trying to you know just rely on, on, on the things that you've learned over repetition? Or do you have a, a, a mindset when you're getting in and you know, I'm watching for this, or I keep your hands back, or, or whatever it may be? Any good hitter, when you get in, you have a plan. 
you have an approach. And that approach changes from at-bat to at-bat a lot of what I tell these kids. You know, your first at-bat, you may be going in there looking first pitch fastball, and if you get it, you crush it. If you don't get it, you take it, whatever it is. You have to have an approach, and you have to have a plan as a hitter. A lot of your mechanical stuff, you can't worry about. When you're asking if you're, if you have a, if you're thinking in the box, you can't think mechanical. You have to think approach. Like kind of like golf. I'm looking for a pitch away right here. I'm looking for anything he throws me away, fastball changeup, doesn't matter. I'm looking for something I can get extended and stay the left center on. If he comes in, fastball, slider, anything, take it. If it's a strike, oh well. If you start thinking mechanics, you end up being like Clank the Mechanical Man, right? Exactly. Everything starts becoming real jerky. and, and Exactly. Like, it's like a golf swing, I, I guess. And baseball's a hard enough game where if you start thinking too much, you're done. Just quit thinking, meat. You're hurting exactly. the <laughs> Exactly. All right. Um, some general stuff here. Uh, nicest park you've played in so far in your career? Dayton. Or Florida State League's got to be Clearwater. Clearwater's got a beautiful park that the Phillies train at. Best field. Playing surface-wise? Yeah. Mm. Dayton. We talk, you're talking about um, the different coaches in the Reds organization. Is there, is there a team philosophy, a Reds organizational philosophy for hitting? You know, they try to implement it to a certain point. You know, each player has a different swing, so not everyone's going to look the same. Nobody does. But there is a there is a thing that, especially as you get older, you play more for you play for runs. Really, if you need to move a guy over, move him over. Find a way to do it. And there's you know they keep charts and stats on that too. When you know it's a failed situation, and they write that down, and that goes in the books, and then you know, they come back and talk to you. Hey, what happened these past two games? Yeah, you haven't hit, but you haven't done anything to help the ball club either. You haven't moved a guy over. You haven't hit a sack fly. Like what, what's up? What's going on? You filled in a you know runner at third and less than two outs. You didn't put a ball in play. You struck out. What happened? And there's a lot of a situational and a fundamental thing that goes. Who into comes it. to you with that? Is it the, the, the hitting, hitting coach? coach? And they come to you and say, "Dude, like here's the numbers. I got it right here. I've had it. I've kept a chart on it. What's this? Like you you have nothing else to say, but I'm trying. I mean, but a lot of the times is you're not trying. You're not focused in. What they're trying to implement is runs are very important. You have to find a way to, to get runs. If you're not hitting, find a way to help your ball club. Move somebody over, score a run, do something. Hit a weak ground ball to second base with a runner on third with one out. You got an RBI and a ground out. Your team scored a run. So there's a lot of the team coming to you saying, how are you making us better right now when you're struggling? Find a way. You've had three different hitting coaches in, in the Reds organization. And you talked about Darren Braggs in the Dayton, and I can't remember the guy's name in Sarasota. Jackson. Jackson. And tell us about how they're different and how they're the same and what, what each one of them kind of taught you. Do they teach you, do they focus on different things? You know, Bragg is a lot of the mental, the mental game of hitting, really. There's no better way to put it. He, everything he breaks down is mental. He, he does your mechanical stuff. Like I told you, he got me with the toe tap and the high finish and everything. But once that's taken care of... Is that to keep your weight on your back foot? It's to keep my weight from not flying way out in front of my... Just getting out in front of the... Right. Okay. Keep my chest behind the baseball and behind my front leg. Okay. So a lot of his stuff is mental, especially... He's unbelievable at... Which I think now he's our outfield coordinator or something, but he is unbelievable at throwing something else at you when you're going good. Like we talked about those times when the ball's slowing down and everything's... He's, he'll sit there and throw something else at you. Say, hey, try, think of this. Try this right now. 
like while you're this locked in, this will help you stay locked in. And he's very good with mental things. And about, you know, when I tell you like having an approach, walking up each at bat, he'll come up to you and say, what did he do to you last at bat? I'm like, well, first two at bats of the game, change up, change up. He's like, well, said change up. If you get a fastball, oh well. He's going to go back to it because he got you out the first two at bats. He's going back to it. First pitch change up, bullet. And then you get on first or you get on second, he's coaching first. And he's got this little grin on his face <laughs> like, told you. And you, and you just want to walk over, shake his hand and say thanks. I mean, that's what they're there for. Jackson, very, very big on almost a quality repetition. Loves for you to get in the cages. He's always there to help you early work. As is Bragg. I'm not saying that Bragg's not. But uh, always there and always willing to say, hey, let's set this down and let's try this. If you're struggling, something, it's not so much mental with him. It's all physical. Let's let's tink this in your swing. Let's change this a little bit. Not a ton. Let's change something to make it work. Looking at your, your game-by-game results, you look like you could make the argument that you're a streak hitter. Is that a fair thing, or are all hitters streak hitters? Everybody's a streak hitter. That's why I said earlier we played 140 games. If guys hit, you know, if guys were continually hitting great, then they wouldn't be in the minor leagues anymore. They'd be in the big leagues. What's your biggest strength as a hitter? Patience. Play discipline. Knowing the strike zone. Um, basically being able to use left center and right center. Being able to stay in those gaps and have power to left center as opposed to just being a dead pool hitter. Being able to use that left center field gap. And that's where my first year in Dayton, I think I had not, I had nine home runs and seven of them were to left center or center. I pulled two home runs. And you know, as I'm as my hands are getting better with this with the new swing and everything, I'm turning on some more balls that I should be turning on. But I'm still staying over in that way. So patience and knowing the knowing my strike zone and knowing my strengths as a hitter. My strength as a hitter, if I look to drive a pitch, it's away from me. A lot of people like the ball in so they can turn on it and hit it a mile that way. But I can't do that. As my strength as a hitter is that way, is, is in left center field gap. By being able, by being strong the other way, does that give you an advantage that you can wait longer on a ball? I feel like it does, and I feel like that changeup that gives a lot of lefties troubles, which it gives me troubles at times too, there's no doubt about it. But when I, if I'm comfortable staying that way and that is my approach when I'm seeing a ball if I've never seen a pitcher, I get in the box looking for a pitch away, and I'm trying to hit it right at the shortstop's head, a line drive at the shortstop's head. And if it carries over him, awesome. If, it, if not, it's a hard ground ball, maybe it gets through a hole or somewhere. Or I'm staying up the middle, but a lot of it is, you know, I get in and I can see that change up longer. The fastball away looks like it's slowing down. Fastball in, yeah, I struggle with it at times. I, you know, roll over, break a bat, or do anything. But a lot of times I'll just take it. If it's early in the count, I don't. I mean, it doesn't bother me. That's where I have trust in my plate discipline and my in my vision to be able to, you know, take it. And say, You're gonna right, get a good pitch to hit eventually. <laughs> what What do you need to improve on so that you can continue to advance? Uh, my approach against left-handed pitching. My left-handers. I made a huge adjustment last year. You know, I've always toe tapped lately. Lefties, righties, it didn't matter. And with lefties, it's it was a lot of just seeing the ball. I, a lot of times I didn't pick it up. And I, just, you know, I felt like I was kind of almost cutting myself off so the ball's coming from way behind me, starting out two feet behind me when it's really five inches. So I picked up, I went to just like a, when I got to Sarasota especially, in Dayton I went to a different swing. I just went just almost like a no stride, just trying to hit it right back up the middle, line drive up the middle. No toe tap, no This nothing. is just off the of left hand. Yes. And then 
when I got to Sarasota, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna, and Jackson, you know, was behind me on this, and he said it. He brought it up first. Open up a little bit. Open my stance up to where I'm not closed off. Like, mm-hmm. So if I'm open up this way, and I go open to close, so just like that much opened up, and I could see every. It felt like I saw everything. I saw his arm. I saw his release point. I saw the breaking ball out of his hand. And in Sarasota, my numbers weren't as good as they should have been against lefties, but there were a lot of balls in there that I smoked that just weren't, they were caught, and they, it just weren't a base hit. It didn't work out. When you were talking about opening up, are you just talking about moving the shoulder or moving the, the, the leg? No, I move my front, like, instead of being like this when I'm toe-tapping, I'm... Like parallel, even, parallel to the plate. Right, and then now I'm just opened up, you know, three or four inches to my front foot, and, it, and I kind of open my shoulders a little bit, just turn a little, almost like... Uh, Carlos Delgado kind of opens up and his front foot's open, but he does it against everyone. I'm just kind of doing it against lefties because I open up, now I see everything that they have. And I felt like that was unbelievable improvement. I could see the pitch. The pitch that I struggle with a lot against them is that breaking ball that goes down and away because it starts at me. And I'm like, oh, that's a strike. I can hit that. And then by the time I commit my swing, it's down in the dirt on the, in the right-handed batter's box. And I look ridiculous doing it. And I never could pick it up. And I never could lay off of it. And now if I see it start at me, I'm like, well, that's going to be a ball. And I can sit there and see it the whole time and wait on it. Do you look at your numbers during the season? Everyone does. How, yeah. how, do you look at them every day? No. If I, if I hit a hot streak, I'll try not to look at them. But they're posted in the dugouts. And every dugout, every we have their stats, their pitchers, our stats, our pitchers. So you have to make a conscious effort not to look at them. Yeah, they're there. They're right in front of you. And if they have somebody on their team that's hot, it's highlighted. And if somebody on our team's hot, like our starting pitcher is always highlighted that day. Matt Clinker starting, cool. He's highlighted. There's his numbers all the way across the board. And then ours, if we have a hot guy, you know, he may be highlighted. So if you, anybody who says they, they don't look at their numbers during the season, they're blind. I mean, they're right in front of you. They're in the clubhouse, they're, they're in the dugout. Con- they're making a conscious effort not to look at their numbers. Exactly. What numbers do you look at? I mean, what, what, tell, what tells Logan Parker that he's, that he's, that he's playing well? Um, I mean OPS, that kind of thing. I mean that's that's. Yeah. But I mean, like, do your, does your walk strikeout ratio mean yeah. a lot to you? Does it does at a, to a certain point? If I'm basically my on base percentage is huge to me because if I'm getting on, then I'm finding a way to help. I'm, if I'm struggling at that time, I'll still look at my on base percentage and say, well, you know, I was O for my last three games, whatever the numbers are, O for my last three games, but I have four walks. I found a way to get on in three games where I haven't had a hit. I'm on four different times. Or I've been hit by a pitch, which doesn't happen much. But any way I can. Yeah, I'm scared of the thing. Um, if I, I look at batting average and on base percentage. Two easiest things for me. RBIs as well. A lot of, especially lately, when I got back to Dayton, one thing Bragg always talked about was he's like, man, you got to drive in runs. You're, you're a first baseman. You can hit for a high average. You hit for a lot of average, which is great. You have decent speed where you can steal bases. Great. You need to drive in runs. So when you have somebody on third, really cash in on that opportunity to hit a ground. Here, roll over a ground ball. Your batting average goes down two points, but you get an RBI. And that's what they look at with first baseman and you know corner outfielders and corner position players, catchers and everything, your power numbers. Do you, do you watch the numbers on other guys in the organization on other teams, other first basemen? Um, not as much. Really, to be honest with you, uh, I watched a lot of Lausma when I was in Dayton because Lausma and I have been roommates since Billings. It's more about that's we're more best, about friends. We're than really about just best players. friends, yeah. exactly. Do you think about where you are in the organizational depth chart? It's hard not to, to be honest with you. I feel 
I feel if, I, if, it, if it was an open competition tomorrow and we all went out and battled for two weeks on who's playing first in the big leagues, it would be a toss-up. I really, I'm that confident in my ability to outwork and play with whoever I'm around. That Joey Votto's a great player. I'm not taking anything away from him. He put unbelievable numbers for a rookie. Unbelievable. He's 24. He's my age. So hats off to him. He's doing what I want to do, and he did it in the big leagues. And I'm doing it in low A and high. He had an unbelievable year. But as far as, it was almost a slap in the face, and I felt that way when they signed Yonder. When they went out and got him, I understand you're going to get the best player at that time. In my opinion, being, you know, lived in Cincinnati two years before being drafted by the Reds, the Reds needed a good pitcher. And Aaron Crow out of Missouri was still there. 94 mile an hour right handed pitcher with a good sinker. But they didn't want to take him because, and they chose Yonder, which is fine. I mean, that's, it was almost more of a slap in the face and a motivation to me like, hey, get it together. Find a way to get it together and move up. Get out of here. And, uh, and you know, once they did, once I got to Sarasota and then he came over, there was no, I mean, there's no hard feelings with him. He's a great kid. He's a nice guy. And he's very respectful to everyone. It's, it's not his fault the Reds drafted him. I can't sit there and be mad at him all day because the Reds drafted a guy. That's, it is what it is. And they drafted him. And Do you, do you think... And, and you just stole about three of my questions, but <laughs> uh, the Reds now have two high first high, high round draft picks in, 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 in the first base position. Votto was, I think, a two. Mm-hmm. Yonder's a one. That's a lot of money they've got tied up in first base. Yeah, it is. Is your future with another organization or another position, or, or, or do you not even worry about that at this point? I mean, it's hard. It, to be honest with you, it's really hard not to worry about it. I called. Uh, I called my agent one day before Christmas, after Thanksgiving, so somewhere early December. And I said, you know, I've been getting a lot of questions from people. Where, do you, where are you going to start next year? Where are you going to start next year? And I said, you know, it's kind of starting to wear on me. I, I would say, anytime somebody asked me, I always say, I'd be very disappointed if I'm not starting out in double A. With my age, the numbers I put up, I went in Sarasota for a full year, but the numbers I put up compared to the people who were there that full year, who had seen those other pitchers that many more times, my numbers were up there comparable with all of them. Which and they're going to move up to Double A, so why shouldn't I? In my opinion, and so basically, when somebody asks, "Where are you going to start?" So when I asked my agent, "Where am I going to start?" I was like, "Don't tell me that the Reds don't know because they know." And he kind of, kind of almost flipped out. It's like, "I don't want to hear that anymore. I don't want to hear those thoughts in your mind anymore. I don't want to hear any more questions about it. I, I'm not telling you where they're starting you, and they they haven't told me to be honest with you." He's like, "But if I hear it one more time, I'm done." I'm going to hang up the phone. I'll call you in a week. And I said, okay, well, thank you for the, you know, slapping the face and waking me up, saying, quit worrying about it. And uh, basically, the, the thing I got out of our conversation that day was, he said, you owe the Reds showing up on time and playing hard. They drafted you. You respect the Reds. And I, I absolutely did. And I said, one day, if I get to the big leagues, and he was, he backed me up on this, if I make it to the big leagues with the Reds, and there's, you know, a contract that comes up and it's a matter of five or ten thousand dollars with another team. I make ten thousand more with another team. And I'll stay with the Reds. They draft me. That's who. That's who brought me up. I like that, and I, I like the home base of it all. Maybe that's just growing up a small West Texas kid, but I like the home base. I like somebody who gave me that chance when other teams didn't, and I'll take that. But as far as he said, when you go to spring training, you're competing for a Double A job. 
you go in knowing that you're competing for a double-A job and you deserve to be a double-A somewhere. Whether that's with the Reds or whether that's with another organization, that's up for the Reds to figure out. So that's the mindset I take on it. How have you changed as a player? I mean, we haven't talked, in, we haven't sat down and done this in a couple of years. Right. How have you changed as a player in the two years since we sat down and did this? I mean, you were just coming out of Billings then before you played your first year in Dayton. How are you a different player than you were then? I've learned, like I've told you, I talked that first year a lot about learning how to take care of yourself and, you know, watch what you eat and things. I've really just matured as a person. As a player, basically just taking better care of myself. I'm down to 210 pounds. I can't get anything above it. They want me at 220, and I called our strength coach and said, dude, I can't put on any more weight. I'm eating better. I'm working out harder. And he said, well, as long as you're stronger, don't worry about it. Yeah, it's said, not like they want you working out a Taco Bell. Right. <laughs> like, you know, the first couple of years, I ate out all the time. And now, really, it was a it was a money issue. I just ate at home. I made my own meals, and, you know, worked out hard, took better care of myself. But as, as far as a player, I would say taking better care of myself and just knowing the game more, I've learned more about being around other guys who've played in, you know, big-time college programs. We've all played pro ball now for three years. There's a lot that you learn, and you sit there and you pick, like, your manager and your hitting coach's minds about things. And in spring training, you get all these, there's people who come back out and talk to you. Like, Eric Davis came out this year and talked to us. It's a lot about knowing the game and knowing, like I said earlier, when he makes three quality pitches to you that at bat, tip your hat to him. Hey, Awesome. And don't get so frustrated and down on yourself when you make a mistake. Just know that it's part of the game. And if everybody was perfect, that's why if you had 300, you're awesome. Seven out of ten times you're going to get out and still be a great baseball player. What do you know about the baseball profession that you didn't know a year ago? It is a business, and I understand that. And with the, you know, a lot of it got kind of, like I said earlier, slap in the face. Hey, we're going to get somebody else. We don't know if you're healthy. We don't know what the deal is with you, if you're our future or not. But we're going to get somebody else. It's a business, and they have things they need to look out for. They're trying to, just like I'm trying to put food in my own mouth and keep a job and, you know, make it to the big leagues and be famous and, you know, basically play a game for my job for the rest of my life. They're trying to put food on the table for their family. They have a job, too. And their job is to put the best, draft the best people and put the best people out there that they can. And, you know, basically, like I said, it's just... There's nothing else that I can say, but it is a business. And there's not a whole lot of, I feel like there's not a whole lot of feelings that go behind some of their decisions. They it's, don't consider you as people, they consider right. you as as their, as their as their project. Property. Yeah. And I meant to ask this before when we were talking about the, the, the hierarchy at first base. Have you given any thought to, to asking for a position change? I mean, the Reds, you know, the outfield seems like the, the fastest road to the major leagues for the Cincinnati, in the Cincinnati Reds organization right now. But a lot of it is them. There's young prospects with us that have a shot to be in the big leagues in the outfield. I mean, oh yeah, I, I'm, Stubbs, not, I'm not Stubbs, saying Heisey. I mean, there's guys uh, who Dorn. Dorn, yeah. Dorn deserves a sh- Dorn's Dorn not should be big league camp. Dorn should you know? be in spring training this this year with the Reds. And I feel like he's getting the wrong raw end of the deal. And when I talked to him the other day, um, he said he's like, I might as well just go play in Japan. He said it jokingly, but he's like, you know, I'm not going to get a shot in the big leagues here. I might as well go play in Japan and make more money and you know play over there. Uh, it makes sense, but he should he should have gotten an invite. I, 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 most of the people online firmly believe that he, he should have gotten an invite. It's very it's very it's very disappointing to me to see him not go and to see other guys go. Um, um, 
I've asked about the position change. I actually didn't ask. They said when I left spring training, they asked if you ever played it, or when I left the season, Sarasota. Um, my manager and hitting coach both said, hey, have you played outfield? No, not for a while. But when I was first getting looked at out of college, other teams had me taking infields and stuff in the outfield. A lot of the other organizations that were wanting to draft me had me playing outfield. They said, well, I think you should get an outfielder's mitt. You can run well enough. You have good enough hands. We're not trying to take anything away from you at first. You're a great first baseman, but you might not get the chances. We're just being honest with you. Well, I like that. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, the more opportunities you get, the better your chances. You know. Right. So if it is playing outfield, I'm whatever. Huh? That. Yeah, I don't even care. Minor league baseball is, is a conundrum. You're on a team. You're trying to win as a team. You're friends with the guys on your team. Yet you're in competition with those same guys for promotion. Is that a tough conflict to deal with? I really feel like we got lucky. I told you this two years ago. I feel like we really got lucky with our draft class. With uh, that was six guys. Like, really, just down to earth kids. We all were. A lot of us were older college kids, so we all knew the way the game should be played to a certain point. And we really clicked, and it shows every time that that team starts out together. Billings, we all started out in Dayton. It's a dominant team. We we really put together good numbers. That's first half in Dayton last year. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Until they split us. Yep. And once they start taking key compartments, key yeah. stats, like, I mean, they take Vallejo away, we lose our shortstop, and then we're like, whoa, here we go. He's our 3 old hitter and our shortstop. So when they have us all together at one point, we really got lucky as a, as a team, as a draft class. Awesome. We, so as far as competing with those other people, yeah, there's friendship, and yeah, it's hard. But when those guys get promoted and you don't, it's almost like, well, they deserve it. Kids put up good numbers. How far into the season is it before you start thinking about promotion? Like, you know, you're assigned to X team, and, and I mean, is it a month before you, you know, is it two weeks? Or does it... it varies. It really does. If you're, if somebody, a lot of it is, the sad thing is that if somebody ahead of you gets hurt, then... You mean up the chain? Yeah. Somebody in double A gets hurt and you're in high A, guess what? You're going to double A. That's just how it works, and that's the good part about the game if you're not hurt. And, like, with my situation, I was the one that was hurt. So Lousma stepped in, and when I was in Dayton, he was putting up great numbers in Sarasota. So I didn't have that big of a complaint except for saying, well, I played first last year ahead of him, and when I'm healthy, I'm better than him. But right now I'm not healthy, and that's what I'm trying to do. Once you start thinking about promotion, I mean, how much do you think about it? Do you think about it every day? Do you think, you know, once a week, whenever it occurs to you, or is it like up the, in your mind every minute? <laughs> you know, we talked earlier about my grandpa, and that was where, I wouldn't even, I try not to think about it, but when I got on the phone with my grandpa every night, he'd be like, well, they got to be calling you up soon. These numbers just can't go ignored. He like, just thought in four weeks you ought to be up I'm, four levels. I'm like, Papa, <laughs> like, I'm not going to the big leagues tomorrow. He's like, well, you'll be there one day, but I think you should be in Sarasota right now. I'm like, Papa? It's not up to me and you, believe it or not, or I'd be in double-A right now. But he was the one who brought up promotions a lot. He really was. So that's what got my mind on it. When I would try to stay away from it, I'm like, Papa, I try not to think about it. And he goes, good, let me think about it then. That's his job, huh? That, yep, that's what he said. Let me think about it. We're getting ready to start spring training here. What are your What are your goals for 09? Like, just like my goals for 08, just stay happy, stay healthy, move up as quick as possible learn more about the game because one day this game will get taken away from you whether it's 30 years from now or tomorrow and I learned that with my shoulder that it's any given day like it could easily 
they snap of the finger, your game's gone. You're hurt, and you have a season-ending, career-ending injury, and you're done. So basically just enjoy every day. Enjoy when I'm at the ballpark. When it's hot and you don't want to be there, find a way. Find a way to enjoy it because one day it's going to be gone and I'm going to be sitting in an office doing a job I absolutely hate when I could be taking batting practice and remembering those days where, man, I didn't even want to be at the park that day. But, man, I found a way to make it fun because I was at the park and realized that it was a game. You don't set numerical goals for yourself for the season? A lot of numbers I really don't. You know, to be honest with you, I'd like to have, you know, I'd love, love to hit over 300 every year, but that's something that I strive for is to stay above 300. So if, if, if numerical goals are anything that I would actually look at, it would only it'd be batting average to stay above 300. Because I know if I'm doing that, I'm finding a way to drive in runs. There's home runs mixed in there. There's doubles mixed in there. There's walks and everything else. And my strikeouts should be down if I'm hitting 300. Do you think you're on the Reds' radar at this point? Or is it still too early in your career? You know, I felt like after the first summer in Billings, I was on it just simply because the numbers that you, you know, a lot big, of us, you have big numbers. A lot of us put up good numbers out there, but I felt like I was on it then. Felt slipped off of it a little bit in Dayton, but got back on it once I got hot and figured out a new swing. You know, everybody came back in and they're like, "Wow, you're one of our guys again." Like, you know, this is awesome way to go. And then when I got hurt, I felt like literally just face of the earth, I was done. And that's what I talked about saying, you know, any day it could be over. But I felt like when they sent me back to Dayton, I was just another guy who was healthy and they needed to fill a roster spot, so I had to go to Dayton. And I felt like I was just another guy to them. And I didn't like that. I don't, I don't like being known as just another guy in the organization. I'd like to be known as one of their guys, somebody they stick up for, somebody they look out for, and somebody they want to promote when they're actually doing well. And then once I got hot again in Dayton and I got moved up to Sarasota, I felt like I was creeping back on. I'm not on it. I feel like I'm not on it at the moment but I'm slowly finding my way back into it. And there may be, what, do you, what do you wish the Reds front office knew about Logan Parker that they probably don't know? I don't know. They know a lot of my dedication to the game. They've seen anybody who gets in and watches when the Rovers and stuff come in town, a lot of guys are at the park early when your hitting coordinator's there. But the guys who, I hope managers say this, and I guess that's something I want, you know, Walt Jockey and everybody to know. That every day when I come to the park, it's a, it's a business day. I'm not coming there to completely joke around. And I'm there. I treat it like a job. I'm at the park. I'm usually one of the first people there every day. 1, 1.30. At the very latest, 2 o'clock. I'm there. I eat my lunch there. I watch TV there. I get my early work done before most people even get to the field. And then when they come get their early work, I go sit and I listen to what they're saying what our hit coach is saying to that kid because maybe I can learn something from what he's saying. I can apply that to myself. I walk out, I'll leave and go take that in practice. Basically just the love of the game and the you know my dedication to being there and treating it as a job and treating it as something that I'm trying to do to get better to move on. Are you more or less confident about getting to the big leagues than you were when we talked two years ago? Not say. I've always been confident in my ability and you know, whether they draft another first-round first baseman this year and I'm still with the organization or not, I feel like with somebody, as long as I keep pecking away and keep working hard and keep showing up to the ballpark and doing what I need to do and taking care of myself in the offseason and keeping my nose clean, staying out of trouble, and doing everything that I need to do, I think eventually one day, whether it's with the Reds or not, I'll be in the big leagues with somebody. Okay, two more non-baseball-related questions. 
Do you still do your MC Hammer dance in the dugout? No. <laughs> no. To, to, to talk about that, we, I was at the game one night, and Matt was, uh, or Matt, I'm sorry, Logan. Logan was doing an MC Hammer impression in the in the dugout when they were playing MC Hammer on the one MC or whatever you call it on the PA system one night. And the other one, being from Odessa, Texas, do you watch Friday Night Lights? Yeah, I do. Religiously, I love it. I love it too. We love it too at our house. That's a must see. Oh yeah. That's all we got, Matt, or Logan. Why do I keep doing that? I'm very sorry. We appreciate your time. Hey, thank Good you. luck this season. Thank you. Keep us updated on what's going on with you. I love you. Let's hope we're going down to see you play for the Mudcats here real soon. Let's hope so. All right, man. Thank you. Yeah, bro. Okay, thanks again, Logan Parker, and best of luck to you in 2009. I meant to mention this earlier, and of course I forgot. If you didn't get to hear the first part of the interview with Logan Parker, go ahead and log on to RedLegNation.com. There's a tab at the top of the page that says RN Radio. There you can get links to all the previous podcasts. There's also a podcast um, player in the right-hand column at Red Leg Nation where you can access all the previous Red Leg Nation radio podcasts. I want to... In addition to thanking thanking Logan Parker, I want to thank Bill Lack for his work on that, but I also want to thank our other two Red Leg Nation Spotlight players, uh, Matt Klinker and Tyler Stovall. If you've been listening to Red Leg Nation Radio over the last little bit, you'll know this is the last interview of of the three that we've had with our Spotlight players. We wanted to touch base with each of them in the offseason, see how their preparations were going for 2009. Uh, And I think that if, if you have any interest at all in the Reds organization, uh, you really enjoyed these interviews. I know that we've enjoyed them, and I know the Bills enjoyed actually conducting the interviews. So thanks to them. Next week we're going to get uh, back to hopefully a roundtable discussion. We'll see who's going to be available on that. Uh, several things up, several balls up in the air. Uh, unfortunately, I'm going to be a part of it, so you're going to have to deal with me. But that's just a cross you'll have to bear if you want to uh, listen to Red Lake Nation Radio. I want to go ahead and jump into our mailbag uh, at this time. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, concerns, anything that you want to ask Red Leg Nation Radio, give us a uh, an email real quickly at chat at redlegnation.com. Place podcast in the title if it's something specifically related to the podcast. Otherwise, any subject line will do. Um, the first one comes from uh, one of our loyal readers. We actually posted this at redlegnation.com, but I thought it was interesting enough that we would touch on it in the podcast because there does seem to be quite a bit of confusion with respect to this. The question was this. I'm curious because of what I think is a misremembering about Dave Concepcion. When Davey's number was retired by the Reds, every article I read indicated that Davey was named Reds captain in 1973. I find this really difficult to believe. Four years into his career, a light-hitting shortstop surrounded by all that talent was named captain. I always figured 1973 was a typo, but I haven't been able to find verification of that anywhere. Um... And he notes that he even wrote to the Cincinnati Enquirer, and they've not been able to clarify anything either. And, of course, Hal McCoy, at, at least one point, also repeated that 1973 date as uh, the date that Davy Concepcion took over as captain. Uh, back to the email. I grew up in the late 70s believing that Pete Rose was the Reds' captain. Sure enough, one of the posters of Red Lake Nation mentioned that most people think Rose was the captain, but it was actually Concepcion. When George Clooney was on Ellen, and I can't believe that we're really talking about Ellen on the podcast. I apologize for that. Um, but when George Clooney was on with Bench and, uh, Johnny Bench and Joe Morgan, uh, Clooney pointed at Rose in a picture of the Big Red Machine and jokingly asked, Who's that guy? And, of course, Bench said, That's the captain. So, is even Johnny Bench mistaken? Well, 
this is a subject we've actually discussed a couple times at Red Leg Nation. And uh, a lot of confusion because even the Reds' own website, uh, reds.com, lists Dave Concepcion as the captain in 1973, uh, which is bizarre. Uh, Red Leg Nation contacted uh, Greg Eckes, Reds historian, curator of the Reds Hall of Fame and Museum, and this is the definitive answer we got on that. Pete Rose was actually named the Reds team captain in 1970, and he did retain this title until his departure after the 1978 season. Dave Concepcion was named team captain in 1983. That's the way I remembered it. And he served in this role until he retired in 1988. And then the most recent team captain was Barry Larkin, of course, who became captain in 1997 and remained so until he retired after the 2004 season. So there you go. There's your answer uh, to that very important question uh, of Red's history. Thanks again for everyone for listening to the podcast. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up right there. Um, be sure to tune in here in the next few days. We'll have another podcast for you. Again, if you've got any questions, comments, concerns, um, suggestions, email them to us, chat at redlegnation.com. Uh, be sure to check out all the previous episodes of redlegnation.com using the RN radio tab at redlegnation. Or you can subscribe, as always, through iTunes. That's all for this week. Thanks again.